0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Matinee Mondays here on the Remnants of Reese's Remember All. Today we're doing a older episode. This is one of the episodes that was mentioned in the channel trailer so take some time, sit back, relax and please remember all of the socials are outdated and um, enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Robert's Reviews, the weekly podcast show where we sit down, discuss the most recent films from this year and last. Last week we discussed The Greatest Showman, and this week we're going to be moving on to The Shape of Water, a film that came out very early this year, late last year, early this year, I think. I went and saw this with some friends and... I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um Guillermo del Toro has done Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth and some of the other uh, really fun films that are out there. He's dipped his toes into some really interesting genres and ways of telling stories. And this is just the next step in that evolution for him. Let's see. Okay, yeah. Uh, The Shape of Water was released December 1st, 2017, so it was late last year. Sitting here looking through uh, the rest of his works. Del Toro's also done uh, Pacific Rim. I can't believe I forgot about that. Edward Scissorhands, The Lake House, and most recently, Call Me By Your Name. So he has a wide plethora of films that he's done. Jumping right into this, after we go through and talk about a couple of things that are coming up on the network, Zion's Edge Network still consists of the two shows, Roberts Reviews, this show, and the Federation of Fandoms. We are looking at expanding from the two shows, but that will come after we do the cementing of the shows that we've already got going. I'm not going to go too far into detail with the rest of what we're working on, mostly due to the fact that uh, we're trying to keep that under wraps at the moment. But we do have some pretty big things coming down the pipe as we get further cemented into the network. So let's just dive right into this thing. Um, I'm going to start with my preliminary thoughts this week. When I went to go and see this, like I said, I went to go and see this with some friends and it was a spur-of-the-moment thing, and I wasn't sure what to expect. From the trailer, it just kind of seemed, it just seemed like a boring romance reflecting upon the era that it is set in, and the resonating themes that are still true today, racism, sexism, phobias, and the like, all wrapped up into this movie. Um, That just did not seem like it would be that enjoyable for me, so I was going in kind of like, mm, this is going to be one of Del Toro's slower works. I'm I'm not sure, you know, because I was a fan of Hellboy and Pacific Rim. Um, it seemed more in the vein of Pan's Labyrinth, which I wasn't too big on. I mean, it was good. And the more I look into his work and the themes and everything, and when I've gone back and watched Pan's Labyrinth again, I was completely fine with it. I was just like, Okay, you know, this is cool. I actually understand it now. I was not expecting the subtitles that came up because the main character is deaf. So that just kind of took me by surprise, which it added something to the depth of the film. As I've previously said, as we get into the specs here, the director is Guillermo del Toro. And one of the films I forgot to credit him for was Crimson Peak. Which is part of the reason why I was kind of hesitant because for me Crimson Peak was a massive miss and I guess it just kind of fell flat for me with that one. But this one definitely made up for all of that. Del Toro did also write this with the help of Vanessa Taylor. They co-wrote this. This film is starring Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Octavia Spencer, Doug Jones... David Hewlett, and I'm going to mess this name up, Michael Stolberg. I'm pretty sure that's wrong, but that's the best pronunciation I can come up with at this time. The Shape of Water has been nominated for 287 awards and has won 100 of the awards that it was nominated for, as well as four Oscars. So it's it's a pretty big deal. The scope, the cinematography, the play with the CG, the effects, all of that was very, very well done and beautifully executed. The movie runs 123 minutes, 2 hours and 3 minutes. The Shape of Water was on a budget of $19.4 million, has a return of $194.3 million and that is as of the 29th of April this year. It is rated R, and for very good reason. This is one of his more adulterated films, more so than some of the past works that he's done, but that does not lessen what the themes are, and it's definitely a story for the adults. The genres that this movie is placed in is adventure, drama, fantasy, horror, romance and thriller getting right down to the meat and potatoes of the film uh, I don't have too much in the way of notes for this movie it was pretty straightforward Uh, del Toro did not mince words it was all very clear what he meant the themes the struggles of the characters it was all very outright it it just kind of seemed like he was like hey look look at this thing look at this theme acknowledge it Okay, we're done looking at this. Moving right along. It was like he was a a tour guide um, for his themes this time. And that was something I really did enjoy. Being very upfront about it. Uh, Some of it was... A little harder to understand even with a uh, theater and cinematography background because the story was so enveloping and it just kind of drew you in and you would forget about certain things but then those same things would uh, come back later to play and whereas before it was like huh okay it would make sense and just be like oh now i get it one of those things being for a lot of people One of those things for me was the loss of Strickland's finger and the fact that it was rotting away on his hand. That was one of those things established early on in the film and it played through right up until the end. Where at that point it all just kind of clicked and made sense. And we'll get further into that later on. This movie balanced humor with fantasy elements. Octavia Spencer was, that woman was phenomenal in this movie, but then again, I'm an Octavia Spencer fan. Anytime that we can get her in a movie, in any kind of film, whether it be the the fantasy romance or biographical, historical, the drama, comedy, to me, it doesn't matter. She's great. Anytime we can get her on screen doing her thing, it's perfect. I I don't believe that she's had a bad day when it comes to this because she is always on point. For for whatever reason, she kind of steals the show from me every time she's there because I'm like, yes, let's just get more of her everywhere. And there, there are actors and actresses for for some people that are like that. I know everybody has their favorite, their their favorite people. And those people just put them everywhere, put them in everything, because they are amazing. But like I said, that balance between humor and fantasy elements and the drama and the horror, whatever is going on, that balance is what I've come to expect from Del Toro's work. Now, where I said with his themes he was very outright and very open... For some people, it may be too in-your-face with the more adulterated themes. I know for the friends I went to go and see it with, one of them said that it was a little too in-your-face with the romance between the creature and Sally Hawkins' character. For me, it just came off as a very adulterated fairy tale. And that's what Del Toro's work for Pan's Labyrinth was and this seemed to be in a very similar vein. even though people were talking about this movie and were theorizing that the creature from this is like the origin story for Abe sapien from Hellboy. while I can I can totally see that and I I did buy into that when I started looking further into this movie and after watching it and thinking about some of the things that were said that it was found in South America, Indigenous peoples that were there around the area where the creature was found worshipped it like a god. That did have some elements of the creature from the Black Lagoon, which Del Toro did say that he based this off of. So the change up from that and kind of blending a little bit of Abe Sapien from Hellboy and the creature from the Black Lagoon really did kind of make it work in putting del toro's twist on it really did kind of enjoy that separation from the two source materials that he pulled from was able to put his own twist on a classic and maybe make people think that this movie and hellboy are related when they're not that was kind of clever of him to do i will say this about the opening sequence and for any other gamers out there that opening sequence I don't know about y'all. Let me know. But it made me think of Bioshock. More specifically, Rapture, some of the sequences we get for it, where the city is underwater and it's exposed to the ocean. Kind of like that vacuum of space effect for a space station that's been blown up or come under attack where sections of it are exposed to space. And you just have things floating there and kind of waiting that just kind of are floating there waiting for something to happen whether or not anything ever does happen as i said the monster is based off of the creature from the black lagoon which was a story that del toro did like and he wanted to do a take on that and i think it really did land so this movie was very deserving of its 104 awards. As with most del Toro films, you're going to have the creature or the supernatural entity or the mythical being having some form of supernatural powers. And the the creature's powers, the monster's powers in this, to me were very interesting. He had the healing ability... The rest of his power set and the rest of his abilities were kind of up in the air. But I'm going to subscribe to the theory that he was sharing his abilities with Sally, with her character. Um, Mostly because there was a scene after they had made love and she is going through her routine because that's her character. She just goes through the exact same routine day in, day out as she works in this top secret government facility the fact that she was sitting there playing with the droplets of rain on the window just kind of tracing through them some of the droplets did start to follow her finger and it makes you wonder was that in her head or was she actually making the water dance now if she was doing that perhaps he had the ability to share his abilities so we're going to come right back around to something i mentioned earlier strickland's finger the finger rotting away that was a heavy theme for del toro and i just want to say this that that was absolutely brilliant to show the man's pure evil coming from within that layers peeling away like like an onion that kind of a theme you see throughout other movies and not just in del toro's works but all over here, it was very outright, and it wasn't subtle. Subtlety kind of went out the window, and that was something I did appreciate. With him coming out and having lost his fingers, was a bit gruesome. And then Sally and Octavia had to go in and clean up all of the blood and the mess, and she finds his finger. Sally finds his finger and gets it back to him. So when you reattach a body part, there's the chance that it may have been too long from the time that it was severed to the time that it's reattached, and there may be nothing that you can do about it. That was the case here, and as the rotten decay set further and further in, the more and more of that vile nature that Strickland had came forth, and that just was really something interesting to see coming forward. Because it wasn't like all at once, blah, I'm the bad guy. It was very slow. Like, you knew he wasn't a good guy to begin with, but you thought maybe it's just because he's a strict military guy. No, this was straight up, he is a jerk. He is just not a good person at all. So, as the movie progresses and you see his relationship with his family and his his other co-workers, his superiors, and his subordinates, you just see how much of a brown-nosing, boot-licking jerkwad he really kind of is. One of the other questions that throughout this movie that I had was about Sally and her voice. Uh, If you look at any of the trailers or anything, Sally's character was mute. And there's a point where... It kind of seemed like she might be getting her voice back. And this goes right back into the possible sharing of abilities. Or maybe it was just the healing that was causing her to be able to get her voice back. Now if it was that slow dosage of constant healing that she was getting from the monster. That's even more awesome because then he could take away pain and wounds heal wounds properly that had been in place from infancy which is how long that she had been mute i'm not gonna say too much for those who haven't seen it yet but that's one of the major major things and her her backstory and i'm i'm trying to leave the the backstories alone because then there's too much theorizing that can be done but one of the questions that that it raises is as an infant how did she how did she end up with three claw marks across her neck and being found on the banks of a river really how did she survive that and what was it that got her because from my memory they don't say in the movie and it just leaves it wide open for interpretation as I said earlier, the scope and the visuals are extremely great. And that brings me right into one of the smart choices that was made in this film and in the making of this movie. Now there were a lot of them and one of my favorites was the play for color changes for characters as the story progressed. That was smooth and clean. It wasn't, you know, one day they're, everybody's wearing all black and then the next day everybody's wearing you know a different color that can be a little jarring sometimes and this was just a very simple smooth color change that happened very gradually but it really did show off that changes were happening to further that before she gives herself over to the creature her wardrobe is boring and doesn't stand out in any way it's very bland, simple, washed out colors that don't do anything to help her. And after they have their night of passion, the vibrant reds and blues of her outfit pop more. She even picks out a red pair of shoes. The coat that she has pops a little bit more on screen. She just seems to kind of wake up to the world. Or the world wakes up to her and sees her so maybe it could be either one or both as a baseline message for this film i think the tone of acceptance and not judging anyone based on one part of who they are is wrong i think that's the message that the movie was trying to go for as you have multiple different types of minorities the disabled women women of color people of color members of the LGBT community and then you have Strickland who is this authoritarian militaristic white man in power and Michael Shannon does a really good job in portraying Strickland and his anger his loss of his grip of authority and a bit of a slip down the rabbit hole in that sense of what he thought he knew he doesn't know and there's more to the world than what he was taught and that can be a bit of a struggle especially for someone who can't see things any other way than what they've been taught when you get set in your ways it becomes difficult to break out and with that being part of the the theme to just open your mind and be more accepting it really shows the struggle that people can go through One of the other themes or rather concepts throughout this film is a constant play of water. From the bath to uh, the environment that the creature lives in, rain on the windows, the pier and the dock is very simple. It is a recurring theme that life is like the flow of water. It just is. And we have to accept it and go with the flow. And that is a simple and beautiful theme. Shifting back over to Del Toro, one of the interviews he gave was on Jimmy Kimmel. And in that discussion and in that interview for this movie, Del Toro said that this is his favorite movie that he's ever made, which really shows in every detail. He gave this movie his all. So just taking a moment to talk about uh, the performance of the lead character. While the creature is one of the main leads, I want to talk about Sally Hawkins and the performance that she gave. Her performance is is by far one of the most impressive that I've I've seen yet. And the reason why is it because it relies entirely on her facial expressions, her eyes and her body language. And that, That is absolutely phenomenal that she is able to just give a sideways glance and you understand exactly what she's meaning to say to Octavia. And it's just like, she gives that glance and it's just like, girl, do you believe this guy? But without saying anything, without doing too much, That's over the top. It's all very subtle. It's, it's a nuanced performance and unless you're gonna go looking for that or you're expecting that you can really miss that nuance, that very subtle sideways glances and just a simple arching of a brow. She's got very good facial and body control. That really kind of feeds right into the fact that She is a brilliant woman. I mean, we see that early on in the film, but due to her disability, being a woman of non-white heritage in the 60s, her opportunities are slim, and Sally's ability to show and not tell, all of that in a few shots on screen, are wonderful. It is absolutely spectacular that you're able to get exactly what's going on in her mind, and understand everything that that she's got going on inside of her and see that without being told by by really anyone that she is feeling stuck in one place that she doesn't feel like she's going anywhere or that her life will really amount to much being able to see that and her portrayal of all of that was just spot on moving right along into the film score the soundtrack it it was really kind of different I've been thinking about it for a while since I I saw it in January and it really is just one of those soundtracks that is different and it's not in a bad way it's just out there it's kind of like the original series Star Trek how to many people it was just kind of out there that music and and the concept was just kind of far-fetched but it works and that's the thing about this soundtrack is it's just like that it's out there it's a bit different but it works and it's really just one of those that I found myself listening to time and time again since seeing this and I'm just like you know this is nice I like this it's relaxing It, it makes you start thinking well at least for me it's been really helpful to have around and on my Spotify for what I want to write because it really just kind of helps expand your mind and I think with the themes that this movie was putting forth that that was one of the things that really kind of helped that the the guy who wrote this is Alexander Desplat and I think I messed up that last name again so that's two last names I messed up in this show so far but that's going to be the last one I mess up so alexander he composed the music for this film and when looking this up because i was just like you know wow you know touches of the fantastical while being true and reminiscent of the era of the film kind of making you realize some of the themes that are going on and just kind of hitting the chords that open your mind a little bit it's so just relaxing and one of the other things that it just, it does is it brings up the images of coastal regions so as i'm going to look him up and i'm like I, this name sounds so familiar he worked on florence foster jenkins the danish girl valerian the secret life of pets the imitation game godzilla grand budapest hotel zero dark 30 Rise of the Guardians extremely loud and incredibly close Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part 1 and part 2 King's speech Benjamin Button the queen and so many others Now right there there's one in there that really kind of got me and I was like how did I how did I miss this Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part 2 with the Battle of Hogwarts One of my favorite pieces of music ever is statues. When McGonagall summons up the statues of Hogwarts that are around and sets them to defend the school. That portion right there, that little clip of music that's playing, that whole track, it's moving, relaxing. And I just, I love that. So I was like, no wonder I really like the score because... I enjoyed the Danish girl. I liked Valerian, the Secret Lights of Pets, Godzilla, Rise of the Guardians was good. King's speech was great, and so many of the others that he's done, you know, those I really just those were the ones that jumped out at me. I'm like, I know I've seen that. He did the work on that. And I was just like, wow, Del Toro did really great when he picked Alexander. To do the music for this film. And that's one of the things. That if that, that music is off. Or if any of the other little details and little things are off. The whole production can fall apart. And Del Toro has a way of picking out everything that's just right. And being able to bring it together. And hold it. And mold it. And give you something absolutely stunning. And this was a film that he did really well on. From a personal standpoint um, for the movie overall, I would give it about personally a 3.8 out of 5, but because of Octavia Alexander and the hard work and the themes that really just kind of jumped out as I'm looking more into this and I went back and I rewatched certain parts of it and just going, okay, now I see that. That really kind of brings it up to a 4 out of 5 simply because this was so good and so so well done as you start to notice these things and really think about it and let them sink in it does kind of just jump out my my final rating is four out of five and for the soundtrack i give it two thumbs way way up it is really a fun little soundtrack that is good to set on while you're in the tub or while you're sitting down to read at night or you just want to curl up and take a nap it's good to have on in the background and with that that brings us to the end of our time today and the end of the shape of water i know it was a little short but it was one that was very simple and straightforward if you could see the themes and why it's gotten all of the acclaim it's gotten wonderful if not give it another watch do some more digging and really just look at it again and it may not be your cup of tea I know certainly for me it wasn't exactly my cup of tea but that's why I said my personal is about a 3.8 it's it's good for what it is but then subjectively it it deserved the 4.0 it really was that level of good but I wouldn't Personally, put it up there that high. And this movie, I really didn't think we needed to spend too much time on, but go ahead and let me know what you thought of it. Hit me up on Facebook, on the fan page, and over on Twitter. I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Next week, we are going to be diving into Winchester, one of the horror movies from the beginning of the year starring Helen Mirren as Sarah Winchester. I can already hear the groaning from the audience now. Just that uh, that was not good. We're going to get into that. We're going to dissect that one a little bit more. I have a penchant for the thriller and the horror genre. And that is one that I am looking forward to dissecting and talking about and going over. Maybe debunking some of the things that are being said about it. While pointing out other random theories that could be going on behind the scenes with that. So, we'll see you next time on Robert's Reviews. Robert's Reviews is part of the Zion's Edge Network, and if you like what we do here at the network, go ahead and subscribe. You can find me over on patreon.com at patreon.com robertreviews, all one word. You can also find me over on Twitter at robert underscore mcpeak, and you can find us over on Facebook by searching Robert's Reviews in the search bar. So, go ahead and give us that like. Keep an eye out for updates and new shows as they become available.